This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Thumbtack. Thumbtack.com provides a fast and easy way to find and hire skilled local professionals. Go to Thumbtack.com to find pros for everything from home improvement to event planning to personal wellness and more. That's Thumbtack.com. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. And bro, you've also been very, very busy lately launching a new service. I have been. You're absolutely right about that. Tell me more about that. Well, this new service is called Total Income. So it is really the first Motley Fool service that is geared towards people looking to generate income from their portfolio. So oriented around things like dividend paying stocks, bonds, real estate, some relatively conservative option strategies that'll help people who, once they've gotten to that point where they've accumulated enough money where they want to live off their portfolio, we try to help them do it. All right. And if that sounds interesting to you and you want more Robert and more income... And who wouldn't? Who, who wouldn't? wouldn't? You can go to TotalIncomeRadio.Fool.com. That's TotalIncomeRadio.Fool.com. Yay, that's your plug. That's my plug. <laughs> that's what you get. All right, it's time for the second annual Luffy Awards. Where we look back on the year in investing in personal finance and arbitrarily give out awards. This year we'll be giving out awards for best performance by an ETF, the best worst predictions, and the best rewards credit card. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. All right, here's my great big musical number that I've been practicing for weeks to kick off the show. Are you ready? I can't wait. ETFs and original screen, but no, no, I can't do it. It was good. No, it wasn't good at all. It was awful. B B minus. B minus. Who's, who's that extra voice oh, here in the podcast with us? That would be Diana Yoko. Oh, oh yeah. Was I not supposed to talk yet? No, you can talk. It's okay. fine. So, uh, this, people who've been listening to the show since the beginning will remember Diana was one of the original three. It used to be three of us on the show. Yeah. Uh, now there are two, and sometimes we bring other people into the studio. But you work at Nerd Wallet. Yep. And uh, what would you say it is you do over there? I'm a writer. I write about personal finance, investing, retirement, all that good stuff. Stuff. You are also a musician, as exemplified by the theme song to Motley Fool Answers. That's right. It features my glockenspiel stylings. That's right. Written, performed, produced. And recorded in your bathroom. Recorded in actually someone's bedroom under a blanket fort. <laughs> Rick understands will, the acoustics. I will never ever hear our theme song the same way. Again. I will, you know, just picture you kind of huddled on there with your teddy bear and your glockenspiel. Like, I am. It was a pink no flowered, pink flowered quilt, and me I was plucking the violin. <laughs> And making sure that all the traffic noise didn't come through. That's and so it funny. doesn't. No. Well, you've joined us here today to help present some awards. So, should we just get started with our first award? Yes. Well, do we want to explain why we call these the Luffies? I think we should explain why we call this the Luffies. I don't know. It's not really that great of a name when you think it. Well, so, we just have a long running. Like, I feel bad about having it's to explain a, a long yeah. running joke. <laughs> it was a mistake, but now it's called the Luffies. So, whatever. Uh, we've, we've had a long, long running joke about the villages, the retirement community in Florida, and how one day, we learned that if you are a swinging senior and you're looking to broaden your the people that you special hug with, you put a, attach a loofah to the antenna of your car or golf cart, correct? Right. Now, I should say I have been there a couple of times since we made this discovery, and I have yet to see a loofah. I have seen some other scrubbing type a things. A scrubby, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I would say a loofah, it's a... 
it's an umbrella term for, got it. A, for any a, dish oriented type of thing or an exfoliating <laughs> cloth perhaps it was a, it was a, yeah you you sent me the picture it was a bath scrubby it was yeah. great <laughs> yeah it, you did I, you, if you didn't understand it you looked at it you're like what is that doing there um, oh i knew but we knew <laughs> we knew <laughs> And Robert ran after all and of those he was golf ready to it was, party. It was one of the best nights of my life. <laughs> Just kidding. You're a family man. <laughs> <laughs> you had your kids in the back, Cousins backseat. So the first category is Best Outperformance by an ETF. And joining us to present the award is a Robert Procamp. Da, 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 da. <laughs> all right. So first up. For the award for the best ETF. The nominees are. The nominees are. First nominee. Anyway. The Direction Daily Brazil Bull Three Times Shares. So catchy of a name. <laughs> With the ticker BRZU. And this is one of the nominees because it actually did have, from what I can tell, the best performance in 2016, which was 167%. Not too shabby. Why is that? Well, because we had talked previously in a previous episode about how there were these stocks called the BRICS, and that was Brazil, Russia, India, and China, and how they were supposed to be the new great thing, but then they actually were not for a long time. But eventually, when an asset an asset does particularly poorly for a while, eventually it rebounds. So Brazil, last year, as a stock market, made about 68%. This type of ETF is one of those ETFs that uses various financial tricks to sort of, ex- like, Supercharged returns. Words like leverage. Right. Leverage <laughs> and swaps and different derivatives. So it made the 160 something percent. That said, when Brazil stocks lost 15% in 2014, this lost 56%. Mm. When they were down about 40% in 2015, this was down 86%. So, you know, it, it, when it goes up, it goes really up. And when it goes down, it goes really down. So it will not win this category because I don't recommend that you invest in it. All right, and the next nominee is? The next nominee is the ProShares Dividend-Oriented ETFs, and two in particular. One's called the S&P Mid-Cap 400 Dividend Aristocrats ETF, uh-huh. with the symbol R-E-G-L, Regal, I guess. Oh, cute. Nice. And then the other one, I'm putting two of them because they have similar strategies and had similar returns, and this other one is the Russell 2000 Dividend Growers ETF. And the Russell 2000 is an index of small caps, so the ticker for this is SMDF, meaning small dividends. And the reason that these are a nominee because, first of all, they did very well in 2016. They each returned about 35% or so, um, and they exemplify two principles of long-term investing. Number one, these focus on mid-cap and small-cap stocks, which actually, historically, over the long run, have actually outperformed large-cap stocks, so should, you should diversify your portfolio and have those. But also, that stocks that pay dividends, especially ones with growing dividends, have historically outperformed stocks that do not pay dividends as a group. Now, we can all pick out individual stocks that don't pay dividends that have done well. Berkshire Hathaway, one example. Never paid a dividend, obviously a good stock. But as a group, dividend payers outperform non-payers. A lot of reasons why that might be possible. One of them is, if you're a company that is paying a dividend and growing that dividend, it sort of imposes a certain amount of discipline on the people running the company, because you have to pay out that cash. One of the worst groups of stocks to own, stocks that cut their dividends. Hmm. Do horribly. So a company if will do all it can not to cut the dividend. So. While I think these are very interesting ETFs, they've only been around for a couple of years, so I'm not willing to say that you should go out and buy them, but the principles behind them, 
a big supporter of. In a much longer track record, how long would you recommend? Uh, I would say, I would say, if it is following a, an index or a strategy that hasn't been around for a long time, I would say at least five years. Good. That's fair. All right. And the winner of the category Best Outperformance by an ETF is? The total U.S. stock market ETF from oh. Vanguard. I know. Kind of boring, but so solid. Total uh, stock market always wins. <laughs> It's kind of true. Um, in particular, this one, the symbol is VTI. The expense ratio is a 0.05% rock bottom. Uh, earned almost 13% in 2016. Outperforming 80% of similar types of funds. Stretch it out longer, like 10, 15 years, you're talking outperforming almost 90% of its competitors. We've talked about it before. Everyone knows it, but it's always good to remind people. On the whole, index funds outperformed comparable funds should be the bedrock of your portfolio. Next up, to present the award for Best Original Screenplay, because of the plot twist no one saw coming, it's Dayana Yoakam. Yay! Okay. All right. Our first nominee is The No Good, Very Bad Start to 2016. Perhaps you remember the stock market showing up on the set in January with a raging case of the Mondays that eventually turned into one of the worst opening weeks in the market's history. In fact, this volatile behavior in the weeks that followed was compared to Jack Nicholson's performance in The Shining. (laughs) (laughs) So, no wonder investors were scared. There's that old saying on Wall Street, as January goes, so goes the year. Oh, thank goodness that turned out not to be the case. In a plot twist that no one saw coming. Da, da, da. <laughs> so by the end of the March, the S&P 500 and Dow Jones Industrial Average was back on its meds and behaving as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. And even better, the market finished the year up a healthy 16%. No one saw that coming. No. But that doesn't win. Oh, let's hear the next this nominee. Category. So, in the foreign language category, our next nominee produced an international sensation, Brexit, the movie. (laughs) This is a story about a once strong marriage that starts to crack around the edges. Over breakfast, the main character, Great Britain, tells the European Union that it needs some space to work through some things. The world assumes that the couple will work things out, but no. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Plot twist. In an unexpected move, Britain changes its relationship status to single. The U.S. stock market takes the news like hormonal teenagers. <laughs> there are tantrums, slamming of doors, some ugly crying, and investors prepare for 2016 to be a total wash or worse. And then, <gasps> double plot twist. Right? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the, the Brangelina breakup. Didn't expect that, didn't, did you? I didn't expect that. No. No. Brexit suddenly is yesterday's news as the market dries its tears, applies lipstick, and resumes its confident swagger. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but the winner for Best Original Screenplay for its wonderful plot twist is... The critic's favorite, the election of Donald Trump. It had everything. It really did. <laughs> so almost everyone on the planet Earth was anticipating a Hillary Clinton presidency. Everyone except 
Sorry. Yeah, you got to be ready with the sound effects. I'm not sure when the plot. There's so many plot twists in this story. Everyone except Carl Icahn. Oh, do tell. Yes. Well, in the wee hours of Wednesday morning, he excused himself from the president-elect's victory party to join the rowdy international investing crowd already trading on the shocking news. U.S. investors were, thankfully, still asleep when the global markets plunged, and S&P futures fell by 5%. And by the time we woke up, the market was already in turnaround mode. And when we finally remembered our passwords to our 401ks, <laughs> both the Dow and the S&P looked no worse for wear. So the plot twist was that there was a plot twist, but then no market plot twist. Yeah, it sort of so was. So many plot we twists. Ex- oh, I know the ending to this. Wait, what? Yeah, didn't see that coming. <laughs> that nothing came. Yeah. <laughs> but even before then, there were articles showing that I remember reading one article that said every time it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to win, the market did well, and any time it looked like maybe yeah. Trump might win, the market went down. Mm-hmm. So that's what people were expecting that if Trump wins, the market is going to tank. Right. Yeah. It's not what happened. No, I I was calling like I was reaching out to reporters. Like I reached out to um, someone at Marketplace to be like, or no, it was NPR. I reached out to someone at NPR to be like, hey, do you want someone to come on and talk about how the crazy the market's going to open tomorrow? Blah 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 blah. And she's like, oh yeah, sure. So sure enough, you know, Andy Cross, our CIO, is doing this interview with NPR, basically being like, yeah. So. <laughs> The market basically calmed down really quickly. <laughs> How's, How's it going, guys? There really wasn't any story there. So, but anyway, I still got him on NPR. Yeah, That's good. <laughs> Yay you. Yay me. Yay. Bottom line, I'm the real winner in this That's story. That's right. Yeah. Before we announce the next award, I want to thank our sponsor, Thumbtack.com. Thumbtack makes it easy to find and hire skilled local professionals for any project on your to-do list, and there's no cost to search. Maybe you need a plumber, or a personal trainer, or a wedding DJ. I know at least one listener to the show that's going to need a wedding DJ. Uh, Oh, you guys don't even know. No. It's a secret. You just submit your request, and local pros will send you custom quotes for your project. Each quote includes their price estimate, business profile, verified customer reviews, and you get a personalized message. Go to Thumbtack.com to learn more. That's Thumbtack.com. Next up, we have the award for the category of Worst Predictions of 2016. And Robert Brokamp is here to present that award. Yes, well, building upon what Diana just said, as we all remember now, 2016 was actually a good year to be an investor, not in just U.S. stocks, in just about every type of stock. So when we look back at the worst predictions for 2016, you might get a hint here that (laughs) the the, the people we're going to talk about here did not think that was going to happen. So number one on our list... The Royal Bank of Scotland. Back in January of 2016, they got a lot of press for saying that you should sell everything except high-quality bonds. Oh, they said that I remember this. <laughs> conditions look very much like 2008, which we all remember was the worst year for the stock market since the Great Depression. So basically, they're saying to sell everything, but I'll highlight a few of their more interesting um, predictions. So they were bearish on global commodities. Um, actually, commodities did pretty well. Bearish on oil, they said at that point oil was about 40-something a barrel. They said it was going to drop to 26 and then maybe down to $16 a barrel. Now it's at 54 I believe. Um, emerging market, well, you should sell your emerging market stocks. Those actually did well, did about as well or even better than the U.S. stock market. And this was interesting and didn't come true, but it still might. Automation is on its way to destroy 30 to 50% of all jobs in the developed world. So 
keep that in mind, kids. Wow. Robots. Robots, <laughs> robots are going to be hosting podcasts. Uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. So that was the first nominee. And the second nominee is... Albert Edwards of, and I'm sorry, my French stinks, Societe Generale, the bank. You're calling out a specific person. I know. You're You're name checking. Yes, Albert. I I sense a Twitter war. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so he is one of those people who's known as a perma bear. Back also in January of 2016, he said that U.S. stocks could drop 75%. Various reasons, a lot of it based on the Fed and that. He was saying that a lot of the asset prices and the recovery since the Great Recession was because the Fed was stimulating the economy, lowering interest rates, buying bonds that has since reversed. They're now raising rates. Mm. Um, so there's not that fuel for the fire. The thing about him is, as again, I said, he's kind of a perma bear. He said back in 2010, he called for the S&P 500 to collapse to 450. Now, the lowest that got during the Great Recession in 2009 was 666, and then it has since rebounded. So he was saying it was going to go even lower than it went into the recession. He predicted, quote, unquote, a bloodbath. So anyone who would have followed that advice, you missed out a lot because now the S&P 500 is now around 2,300. Hmm. But the winner! The winner is... The winner is Goldman Sachs. And I will just read an article from Bloomberg. Here's the headline. Goldman Sachs abandons five of six top trade calls for 2016. This article came out in February, so <laughs> within less than two months of the year, they're abandoning some of their top calls. I won't go through all of them. They, some of them had to do with currency. Some of them had to do with inflation. Some of them had to do with how bank stocks would outperform, would outperform relative to the S&P 500. The interesting thing about this and why they win is, to a large degree, they actually were right, but the way they invested in their calls had them get out of the investments because they were called what's known as being stopped out. Let's say you buy a $100 stock. You hope it goes up, but you don't want to lose any more than 10%. You could put a stop loss order at 90, so if the stock drops to 90, it automatically sells. Mm-hmm. So while they were right about some of these calls, inflation actually did tick up. Bank stocks actually did do well in 2016 because they were investing using stop loss orders. They were forced to sell out because of that volatility that we saw in the very early part of 2016. Mm-hmm. So the lesson here is there's one thing about being, you, you can be right about a general prediction, that doesn't mean you're always going to make a profit based on that prediction. And that's interesting too, because you know automation is supposed to be the thing that prevents people from making knee-jerk reactions. And here, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> Our next category is credit card rewards, and joining us, of course, for that is Dayana Yoga. That's right. Well, uh, every year, Nerd Wallet ranks the top credit cards in various categories, so we're going to concentrate on rewards. And our first nominee is for Easy Travel Redemption, and that goes to Capital One Venture Rewards Credit Card. This is one of the most flexible cards available. You earn two miles for every dollar you spend on everything. And miles can be redeemed for credit against most travel expenses. And what's nice is that you're not restricted with this card to one airline or a hotel, as is the case with a lot of co-branded cards. You just book your own travel, then you pay for it with with your rewards. The annual fee is a fairly low $59 relative to other travel cards. And that's waived for the first year Hmm. when you sign up. Bonus for those who travel abroad, there are no foreign transaction fees. This is really nice. But that card does not win. Who is our next nominee? Our nominee 
here is the City Double Cash Card. We're nominating this for its flat rate cash back. The deal here is an 18-month balance transfer offer that gives cardholders one of the highest overall cashback rates available. So this is kind of cool. You get 1% cash back when you make purchases and an additional 1% when you pay them off. Oh. Yeah, right? Anyhow, you can redeem cashback as a statement credit, a gift card, or a check by mail. And it has a $0 annual fee, which is great, and customers get access to free FICO scores, which is nice if you're trying to improve your credit. The drawbacks, no sign-up bonus, and it also has a rather high foreign transaction fee of 3%. Hmm. So not for you, international travelers. Gotcha. And the winner. The winner. For best performing credit card rewards is... The Blue Cash Preferred Card from American Express. Hmm. And this card is great for everyday spending. It has one of the highest rewards rates at U.S. supermarkets. 6% cash back up to oh. $6,000 per wow. spending year. Yeah. Wow. So, Robert, you with all your children? Have them <laughs> Those are just the ones I know of. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, that's also supplemented by a, an unlimited 3% cash back at gas stations and department stores. And all other purchases uh, earn an unlimited 1% cash back. Here's a great trick. A way to extend the 6% cash back far beyond groceries is by buying gift cards at the supermarket and then using those gift cards sneaky. at retailers and supermarkets. Isn't that a great That's tip? sneaky. The drawback, the $95 annual fee. Ooh, yeah. okay, yeah. And an important note for all of these is that to qualify, you must have good to excellent credits. Oh, that's our listeners. Right, right. <laughs> so, as long as you got a score around 690 or above, you're probably a pretty good bet for being approved for one of these and That's cards. not super high. That's, that's middling. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's good. good. That's a good it's credit good. score. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be perfect. No. Okay. And the final category is Best Actor in a Business Drama or Scandal. And that's being presented by Emma. <laughs> so you just sit on back. So here we have the first nominee is EpiPen CEO Heather Resch for her brave portrayal of American Greed. Since 2009, Mylan, which produces the EpiPen, has jacked up the price of the life-saving allergy treatment an incredible 15 times. So the list price on a two-pack is $609. That's up 400% from seven years ago. So, and you know, a little fun trivia: in France, they're available for eighty-five a pair because a different company makes them. So, they Ooh. finally came under fire in two thousand sixteen, particularly by parents, because if your kid is deathly allergic to peanuts or milk, there was an Atlantic article where one boy was so allergic to milk that he had to wear a face mask every time he went outside. Oh, poor kid! So these parents, I know, isn't that so sad? So these parents are rightfully outraged because they go, they want to have EpiPens everywhere. They want to have EpiPens all over the house. Um, but, and of course, 609 bucks for two, that's a lot of money. The company finally came under fire in 2016, like I said, particularly by parents. And the CEO, coincidentally, her salary rose 671% over the same period that the price went up uh, 400%. She bravely defended her company, saying that she believes Americans should redirect their anger toward a broken healthcare system. So she basically said, blame the game, not the player. <laughs> and then they did a bunch of other stuff, like saying they gave out vouchers and things like that. But it was quite a fun little drama. Oh, I remember it. I very remember. memorable performance. It was very memorable. All right, not the winner. The next nominee 
is former Wells Fargo CEO John Stump for his role as the embattled CEO who was at the helm when the bank started its huge fall from grace. So, as we all remember, Wells Fargo was seen as the reliable darling <laughs> of the banks. Weren't they the only ones who got through the, the banking crisis? They were the good guys. Yeah. They were the good guys. Oh, but here's something funny. Back in 2013, the New York Times was reporting on how they were ma- making fake bank accounts. All the way back in 2013. Mm-hmm. So, when did Wells Fargo finally do something? Well, when the authorities came after them. <laughs> So, of course, not only was the bank a golden child, but so was John Stump. He was considered, the, and it quote, the Mr. Clean of banking, according to the LA Times. But so, that's only because he was bald and wore a t-shirt. <laughs> which was so unprofessional in meetings. And totally worked out. I mean, that guy was cut. He was he jacked. Was he looked, no, he looked like your typical <laughs> stuffed suit banking executive. <laughs> So anyway, uh, at Capitol Hill, he testified that this scheme of creating as many as two million bank accounts without customers' knowledge, it was all just the work of a few rogue employees. <laughs> so of course, they fired 5,300 people on the sales force. Uh, but uh, Stump denied on the stand that the root cause was basically endemic in the whole company. Systemic, endemic, systemic. The employees were incentivized to open these accounts, right? It'd be nice if they opened them and then gave people free money, but that's not what was happening. Right. No. <laughs> right. Well, in the New York Times, in their original article in 2013, they called it a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And So we're talking, yeah, it's like the, the boiler rooms. It's like the boiler rooms yeah, on boiler Wall rooms. Street. The where, shops. Yeah. yeah, where everybody is like, you got to make your quota before you go exactly. home. Exactly. And right. they would say you'd have to come in on the weekends yeah. if you don't make your quota. And you don't make overtime if you do, so. Yeah. Well, Stump flatly denied that it was the company's culture that contributed to the problem. And of course, now he is the former Wells Fargo CEO. <laughs> All right. But the winner. Yeah. This is a fun one. Were you guys aware of this one? Well, why don't you tell me what it is Wait, first? You didn't even you know. read my notes. You didn't even read. That's okay. So. I, have a, I have a clue who it's going to be. Okay. But the winner is venture capitalist Peter Thiel for his role in seeking creative revenge with the help of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Oh, that was an awesome buddy movie right there. <laughs> so fun. It was a romp. About, <laughs> just the, the Hulk Hogan movie was a romp. It was a romp. So <laughs> this one gets naughty, but you got to stay with me. All right. So Gawker, if you aren't familiar with it, is a... Was. 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 was Let's a, not laugh about the demise. <laughs> a media gossip blog. But it was very... I mean, it went beyond blog. It was, it was very popular. And it decided to post a Hulk Hogan sex tape. I don't know why anyone would want to watch that, but they did it anyway. Uh, and Hulk Hogan sued and won versus Gawker in 2016. It got millions of dollars. They settled for millions of dollars. So, And it ultimately put the nail in the coffin of Gawker financially. So, where does Peter Thiel come in? That's funny. Hmm, why don't oh. you tell us, Allison? It turns out, Forbes reported that Thiel funded Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against Gawker, and he later admitted to the Wall Street Journal that he had spent $10 million bankrolling other people's lawsuits against Gawker. Okay. Why would he do that? Well... <laughs> Some people do it for business reasons, like you can bankroll someone else's lawsuit and then expect to get a cut if they Mm -hmm. win. However, he admitted no, no, it had nothing to do with making money. He described it as one of the most philanthropic things he's ever done. His war with Gawker started 10 years ago in 2007 when Gawker publicly outed him for being gay. He was out among his friends, but he wasn't necessarily like out 
out. And he said that Gawker has been a singularly terrible bully. They've outed other people as well. So, anyway, I thought that was terribly interesting. <laughs> that was the winner for the best actor in a business drama or scandal. So, I grew up in Clearwater, Florida. The home of Hulk Hogan. He and his then wife oh. owned one of the nicest, most charming restaurants in the area. It was this like French themed restaurant. You could go there and he would be eating there with his like six kids or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the other f- interesting thing about this story is the the sex tape was with the wife of one of his friends. Yes. A local DJ named Bubba the Love Sponge. <laughs> what? Yes. The Bubba the Love Sponge, big DJ in the Tampa area. I don't live there anymore, so I don't know if he is anymore, but he and his he and Hulk were friends and and, yeah, it was his and, wife, and it was, and Bubba was just in another room working, totally open about it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, it's a great, it's a great scandal. It's a good story. Anyway, that's why I picked it as the winner, because mostly because it has Hulk Hogan in it. Right. The only thing I remember about Bubba the Love Sponge was. <laughs> was Let's this is the Bubba. The, this is the part of the account of our of our award ceremony where we flash up the pictures and we talk about who we lost. Right. Yeah. Let's Mr. talk about your best memory. Mr. Love Sponge. <laughs> Table for four. Bubba the Love Sponge. What is your best memory? Not of my Bubba best the... memory. I just remember like he got. There's a... so many. He's yeah. like a shock jock because of a lot of trouble. But so there was a guy who killed some cops. He shot some cops in Tampa. The guy was killed in the shootout with the policeman. He was cremated. Somehow, Bubba the Lunch Sponge was able to get his ashes, oh. the cop killer's ashes, and people were allowed to come and urinate oh. on the ashes of the cop killer. Yeah, that was the kind of person Bubba yeah. the Lunch Sponge was. And, and Bubba was aware of what was going on with his wife and Hulk. He was oh. just in his office. He was like, go ahead and have fun, guys. Oh. Totally open about it. But he's the one who recorded it, and he also got sued by Hulk Hogan for recording it because oh. Hulk Hogan wasn't aware it got recorded. Dang! I, so much revenge this, in this. I know the story goes on and on and on. It's gonna be a mini series. Let's just take a moment—a <laughs> moment of silence for Bubba the Love Sponge, who may still be alive. Yes. We don't know, yes. but Gawker's not. Well, that's that's the awards show. We made it through another year. <laughs> Let's do this again we next year. Let's. Huh? Let's. Since it's totally arbitrary and up to us. and uh, We can do it any month we like. <laughs> we can do it next week. Yeah. <laughs> just, I think we've got material from this year. <laughs> we have material just from the outtakes of this episode <laughs> to make a whole new episode. Like a Frankenstein of an episode. All right, Diana, thank you for joining us. It's always lovely to have you back in the office. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I also want to thank Brent, who sent in a postcard from the Maldives. Wow. It's gorgeous. Yes, I was very, he said, I'm about your jelly. And I'm like, yes, I am very jealous. That is an incredible postcard. We should all go to the Maldives. All right, next episode, Maldives. <laughs> the show is edited ceremoniously by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp and Diana Yoakum, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.